Hello listeners, um, with this special presentation of Fusion Patrol, I wanted to give you a, a brief word of... Uh, warning is probably not quite the right word for it, but uh, introduction. Let's, let's say explanatory introduction. When we recorded this episode, I had just had a cracked tooth and a crown installed. And that tooth had gotten infected. And the morning I got up to record this, uh, it was pretty bad. <laughs> it was really bad. And it was getting worse all the time. Three hours after we finished this podcast, my wife came home from work and found me lying insensate on the floor, it, it just in agony. I, I couldn't, I could barely move. I was in such pain. It was, it was terrible, and I had to be hauled off for an emergency root canal. Um, now, I kind of vainly thought, ah, you know, the show must go on. But in listening to this podcast while I was editing it, I can tell I'm not entirely 100% on game or uh, in the right frame of mind here. So if, if I seem distracted, uh, if I seem like I'm completely forgetting things, uh, or just, just remember, I am in such, such pain while recording this episode. But you know what they say, the show must go on. We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're going to be looking at the 1970-something... It's just not right in front Six, of me here. Seven, something like that. 76, 77, okay. Uh, ITV production, Children of the Stones. And I'm just going to tell you right now, it's seven parts long, and I'm not going to synopsize, if synopsize oh, no. is a world, the entire every twist and turn in this story. So it's sort of a expectation. Well, there goes version. any hope of me understanding what was going on. Maybe that's why I didn't. Uh, maybe that's why I didn't <laughs> summarize the whole thing. <laughs> Professor Adam Brake and his son Matthew arrive in the small village of Milbury to conduct a three-month research project. Milbury is built inside a Neolithic stone circle, and Adam has come to conduct measurements on the magnetic properties of the stones and the general area. As they learn about their new home, they discover that things are stranger than they could imagine. Most. But not all of the people in the village are happy and seem a bit trance-like. Their children in school demonstrate prodigious mathematical skills. Only the recent arrivals in the village seem normal. Matt and Adams make friends with Sandra and Margaret. Margaret is the recently arrived museum curator and Sandra is her daughter. At the head of it all is the village leader, Mr. Hendricks, a famous astronomer and discoverer of the Hendricks supernova. He seems to have a sinister agenda. Strange events begin to pile up. The stones can impart electro-psychic shocks to Adam and Matt. 
Matt begins to be able to get psychic visions and perform psychometry, the ability to remote sense activities while touching an object associated with a target. A year before their arrival, Matt found and bought a painting that appears to depict Milbury's stone circle during some form of supernatural event. A beam of light emitting skywards from the center of the circle while people stand in awe, circling the light. In the distance, a man and a boy run away from the light. The picture appears to be a key to an event that has happened before, and might be happening again. Each day, it seems more and more of the normal people show up transformed into the happy ones. One day, Dr. Lyle, the semi-retired local doctor, has to leave town to visit an old patient. Matt inadvertently psychically reads the events from Dr. Lyle's gloves. As he attempts to leave town, something stops him. The next day, he and his son have joined the happy ones, leaving only Adam, Matt, Margaret, and Sandra. The transformation seems to coincide with a dinner invitation from Mr. Hendricks, who has an extensive computer system and atomic clock in the disused church, which he and his butler, Mr. Link, use for precise astronomical calculations of his supernova. When Margaret and Sandra are next and turn up the next day as happy ones, Adam and Matt decide to abandon his research and leave. They are stopped at the edge of the circle and find themselves trapped in Hendrick's house, awaiting their fateful dinner appointment time with the next conjunction with the supernova. With some clever use of an oscilloscope, they manage to throw off the timing of the event and leave pretending to be happy ones. Unaware that the timing is off, Hendrix is caught in the beam instead, and chaos ensues. The villagers are transformed into the stones as Adam and Matt escape to Sanctuary. The next day... The village has been reset. The villagers are normal. They know Adam and Matt, but they are no longer happy ones and seem to have no recollection of any of the events. Adam and Matt still decide to hightail it out of town. As they leave, a new person arrives, Sir Joshua Lytton, looking very much like a young Mr. Hendricks. He is greeted at the manor house by a young-looking Mr. Link. Not only is the village in a circle of stone, it is in a circle of time, too. Oh, Children children of the Stones uh, by Jeremy Burnham and Trevor Ray. Two writers I've never heard of. Um, I, uh, a couple of things I'll say for American viewers. This did appear in the United States um, on a show on the network Nickelodeon called The Third Eye, which was like an anthology of various short, psychically themed adventures for kids. So... Some of you actually may have seen this, uh, listeners in the U.S., and of course it was on ITV, and I'm sure it's been syndicated to other English-speaking countries uh, around the world. Um, some people claim this is the scariest thing ever produced for cello- children's television in Britain. I don't know. Have you um, seen or heard of this before, Simon? Well, I no. Not prior, no, not prior to you telling me about it. Um, I mean, it was a... It, it's a bit older than me, so right. I, I didn't have an opportunity to watch it on first broadcast, and it's ITV, so ITV don't tend to repeat stuff. But it does seem to have a bit of a, a cult following, as far as I can tell. And the, yes, the, 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 although it hasn't been repeated as such, as far as I can tell, it has been available. Though it does seem to have gone out of print again um, on DVD, and the the do seem to have been programs made about it and books written about it and so forth yeah yeah um it 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 has a it has a reputation um 
well, I'll give you first shot at does it deserve a reputation? What oh, did yeah, you think of absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yes. No, I I mean, in, in a way, it, I watched it and cl- clearly, I mean, for 19... For, for, for something that was produced in 1976, I can see it would have been very effective. There are some effects where obviously now it's kind of stretching the limits and it it you have to sort of switch back into a certain headspace for a kind of a, a, a title sequence where the visuals are just these sort of just <laughs> rocks <laughs> zooming in on zooming in on static stones or whatever while the the uh, the music which in itself is is quite extraordinary um not necessarily in a bad way, but again, it takes getting used to uh, pl- pl- plays over it. So, but if if I think back to you know if I if I had been a a little bit older, if I watched this when I was ten or something, I this is absolutely the kind of thing that I would have been completely and utterly gripped by. Yeah, I I even even as an old man, uh, I find this to be a very well. Uh, put together show i mean it does have a bit of a sapphire and steel look to it when it comes to the special oh, effects yeah, and the so. sets oh yes you know it, it did it you really... see this on on nickelodeon i did not how, so I did how, not. how long ago did you did you first watch this uh, probably four or five years maybe okay, from for, from now five years ago from now from, yeah. oh i see right so so still yes. an old man okay. Yeah, but, <laughs> well, obviously, yeah, not even an old man yet. But uh, okay, even if I I'd guess, seen it on Nickelodeon, I would have been in my that's yes twenties or thirties. So <laughs> it was quite what, a few. What I guess I was wondering was whether whether when you had seen it, it was. I th- I, th- I get I, it's just the comparators the the kind of tel- the kind of television that I'm comparing it now to in in 2019 would be very different to if I had watch something like this because it you know even 10 years later in the in the late 80s this would have still looked kind of par par for the course in terms of what kind of if you were telling a story like this which is uh, you know essentially a fantasy story this is probably what you could feel you you you'd make you'd done well with your money on a children's show budget let me put it that way hmm and okay. they did, for sure. Well, I mean, they didn't need a whole lot of special effects in this program. Um, it, it's... It, it, well, I'm, I, don't, I think I, it I helps, that actually. Big, no, I agree. And it's not big, big showcase special effects, but it is the language of um, conveying psychic ability and trying to put across what's happening when, you know, someone is getting sensations from the stone or... Mm. Um, when it, you know effects are happening simultaneously, by and large, I thought they were done in this very effectively because they were simple. But we would regard them as being very simple now. You know, when the effect is literally just jump cutting back and forth, back and forth, back and forth every second or so, it looks a bit vintage. Yeah, I, I like to think I'm. Despite the fact that I might be known as a very critical person, I like to think I'm very forgiving of that. It, it doesn't really, absolutely, it doesn't really bother me. You know, if no, if no, that but it, it it's getting used to it. It's just you know stepping back in because it's it's the reality is a lot of those choices are not choices you would make now with what's available to you now. But as soon as you stop thinking about it from a 
from a production point of view and you lose yourself in the story, it no longer matters. Right. Um, it's very atmospheric. Um, it's got an, an amazing uh, village backdrop there, uh, which is Avebury. Avebury, yeah. Um, which I have been to Avebury, and it's a lot smaller than that town. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think there's like maybe... You can see it in those pictures, the aerial shots at the beginning. There's really not a whole lot inside that stone circle. There's, there's maybe a pub and like two other buildings, maybe three. It's very small in that inside the stone but circle. Isn't that all there is in the show? I don't know. It you know, feels to me like it's a lot office. bigger. It feels bigger. I mean, I assume that the house that Adam is in is inside the circle, and it just—I don't know. It, it just feels like it's it. It feels like it's like I, this, I have, you know a room for fifty-three people living with inside that thing, and I, I don't think there's room for fifty-three people inside Avery. Maybe I maybe my recollection is wrong of that, but uh, that's it, a very it, small number of people, though, isn't it? I mean, it's, what, uh, it's half a dozen households. Okay, well. That, that at least requires a half dozen houses and a pub and a shop and no, 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 no like a dozen a dozen a dozen households but but uh, well I mean I don't I don't I haven't been to Avebury I I cannot make the comparison but the from the point of view of of just watching the show and seeing seeing the size of it in the title sequence I get the sense of it being very very small so yes yeah. And I will say, but it, I like also, that. It, I mean, it contributes to the to the to the claustrophobia of it. Yes, and the the only the only kind of thing where I where it did leave me with a bit of a question mark was if you if you lived in a habitation of fifty five people, and quite a bit of time passes during the course of this story being told. Yes, it it seemed surprising to me that you would never leave. I mean, you would never try to leave and discover that you couldn't leave not you know purely just in the routine of things wouldn't at some point you want to go to a bigger town wouldn't you want to go out for a meal or i, I don't know uh, right go it, to it, a department store or something well in the 1970s though maybe not <laughs> i don't know I, i'm 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 gonna didn't people I'm gonna, go out in the 70s i'm gonna i'm gonna express what is regrettably probably a gross mischaracterization but one of the things i noticed and and if i didn't just say this i meant to apri was one of the coolest places we went to in england it was just like it was you know stonehenge maybe a neater looking circle for example but you can't get up to it but apri you can walk up to those stones just like those kids were and and wander around the field i mean it's it's really it's really cool so if you're there you should go see it but um, when we toured around the country and we would stay in bed and breakfasts, so you'd get a chance to talk with the local people in the various towns, although we didn't stay in Abraham, I noticed a very strange to me thing. And that was, they would be talking about, uh, you know, like what would, would sound like an excursion, right? It's like, oh yeah, we we're thinking of going up to the to go making a trip next week, and we're gonna take the day and go up to the next town. And you'd look on the map, and the town would be twenty five miles away. And yeah, you know, Phoenix is sixty across, so twenty five miles I'll drive for a hamburger. 
And that, well, I, <laughs> you just you just made the point that needs to right. be made there, which is that for you guys, I mean, think what twenty five miles is relative to the width of your country. Right. And now think about what 25 miles is relative to the width of our... And, and that's why 25 miles is a long way. Okay, but the, but that makes the point that, that that distance makes it seem more like a barrier. So maybe maybe you don't go as often. Maybe sure, it's not no, as... I, it, it, I, 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 could, I could very much get behind the, the idea that you wouldn't for a week or two, but... I'm not sure how long they were there. That's why... Well, we know that it's less than three months, right? Because that would have been he would have finished his research at that point, and we know he left before they'd finished. But on the other hand, towards the end, we know it took about four days. Yes, yes. So, well, I don't know. But even even then, you've got to think about where did their food come from? Um, You know, what about vegetables and things, or or even like fresh milk? How was that? brought in to the circle can you can can you was everything farmed within the circle i don't i didn't have the sense it was large enough for that but if some you know if if uh, someone were delivering stuff would they be able to enter and leave the circle um we don't know if it's true but hendrix did say link left town to bring in provisions but he might have been I lying assumed that wasn't that wasn't true but it, I guess the I guess the, the answer. I mean, I think the this the series is very clever at deflecting you from that question. It's it's not the kind of thing that you think about straight away. It's when you start getting into sort of critical mode. But um, yeah, if if there were if there were no way of getting stuff into the village or no regular way of doing it, then perhaps whatever that you know. Link was somehow supplying everyone with produce because by the time everyone's happy day, they're not going to ask any questions about it. So yes, I don't know, but like I say, it wasn't wasn't a wasn't a big issue. Yeah, and it, you know there are a couple. Again, I was trying to keep that mindset in my head that says, okay, going going to the next town is a little bit bigger in mind than than it is to me because there are several points during the course of this story where. If I had been Adam, I would have said, you know something? I think I'm just going to test a little theory, and I'm going to drive out of here. Yeah. And I'm not going to tell anybody or everybody that I'm going to drive out of town. I'm just going to I'm just going to head on down to the next town and you know have a meal out or something, and not tell anybody and make sure I can go. But they never because do that. Because the thing is, it wasn't anything like 25 miles. The at least. You know the 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 appearance in the sequences where either Doctor Lyle or at, at the point where Brake did try to drive out, it seemed as if they were driving for what a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, you know it might be a mile at a stretch. It certainly wasn't twenty five. Oh no no, I meant like the next town twenty five. I'm just going to drive to the next town to see if I can do it. No no, but what, what I'm saying is they could. I don't think they drove more than a mile away from Milbury. Exactly. No, I, I agree. I agree. At any point. I, I was just thinking in terms of if I was in the character, I would go, okay, I need to get out of the town. I need to get past the stones. I don't know whether I would just drive out to get past the stones and then go, okay, I can leave. So then I'd come back or whether I would just, you know, try to make it plausible and say, I think I'm going to, I'm going to pop over to <laughs> Hatebury and eat at the horse and lion or something. And 
<laughs> go down do that route that that was i guess that was what i was getting at I, I somewhere during the course of the story i would i was curious enough to go can i leave these stones and they kept talking about it here and there maybe you can't leave this stone. it's like well why don't you go you're a scientist why don't you go find out <laughs> experiment with it a little bit um but but nonetheless um it's seven parts it's quite long but seven seven twenty five minute parts i found it goes by pretty quickly the pacing is superb i i mean i made that note straight after the first episode there's there's something new happening in every episode that keeps you hooked in yeah um i i actually in a way think that the end of part one end of uh start of part two helps make it feel like it's going faster I don't know if it helps the flow of the story, but it, it did make it... I'd be watching an episode, and then it would go, end of part one. i go, wow, that was quick. And that, <clears throat> Oh, you mean the bumpers into the yeah. into the ads? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it could be. I must I must say, I, I liked I liked that. I mean, I thought, I thought the cliffhangers themselves were pretty entertaining, especially as one of them... <laughs> one of them that's got to be just about the only cliffhanger I've seen that involves Morris dancing. But... Uh, <laughs> They're, they're they're good so in terms of the structure of the story that but i but i think you're right actually the little kind of mini cliffhangers into the ad breaks worked very well and again the 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 way in which they used the music over the over the bumpers was was you know really effective in bringing it to a kind of dramatic climax yeah um we should mention the music then uh it could drive my family out of the room <laughs> It's, it's very unusual. It's it's very discordantly. I mean, it's effective for this story, but it's unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> I find not, it unpleasant. Not, I wouldn't want to be, you know, putting it on the record player just to sort of kick back and relax of an evening. It's, I thought you weren't old enough to have watched this show live, but you just said record player. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm old Pop enough it on to the, have had a record player. Oh. I've still got a record player, in fact. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's very popular with the hipsters these days. These kids, too. I've They're making a... How dare you say? <laughs> How dare you? I, I've never... Well, that's probably not true, but I've certainly had a, a record player for most of my life. Um, I, may have not, I may have not had a record player briefly, but I've always had the records, so... Mm. But... Uh, I, don't, yeah, I don't think this I, soundtrack's no, I, been released. No, well, given that uh, given they left let the DVD go out of print, I suppose that's not surprising. But I did think I heard maybe it was in the interviews or maybe I read it somewhere that the the music, which is especially composed for the show, was based on some kind of folky druidistic kind of thing. Is that I can believe? That I can completely believe. I assumed that that was supposed to be some sort of faux druidic chanting. Um, and and I'm gonna raise the question here my understanding of our knowledge of druids is that what everybody thinks they know about druids is basically not true because we don't really know anything about the druids is that is that basically right well i don't know anything about the druids so i don't know <laughs> i thought i thought what well, you know all the based popular the stuff about me, the yes the based on all the popular stuff that you hear about druids and and that's all just sort of made up uh, that that what we know of the druids are from Roman writings and you know third person and and not very reliable. But 
So every, everything you see is somebody goes, oh, this is an ancient Druidic custom. It's like, it probably is not. They're, so this is based on Druidic chanting. How would they know? <laughs> what it, you know? All the people well, that go out and I do mean, this stuff at Stonehenge all... every year and claim to be Druids, no, they're not. You know, I mean, it's, it's, all, <laughs> it's all just speculation. So. Well, all right, then. If, I mean, I can't answer the question about the music because I, I can't, like I say, I can't remember precisely where... I picked up that small piece of possibly apocryphal information, but there's obviously the whole kind of folklore thing running through this and some um, science stuff. So what do we think overall about the accuracy? (laughs) Well, the accuracy of the psychic stuff is uh, zero because psychic stuff's not real. But... um, uh, I I actually kind of I kind of appreciated. It's not perfect, but I, I kind of appreciated the way Adam and Matthew went about their exploration. I appreciated the fact that because here's a position that I and I wanted I did want to mention this, so this seems like it fits. Here's a position I'm in. If I went into a town like that with my mindset and experience, and somebody started going on about psychic phenomena, I would be. 99.999% certain that there's another explanation. And because that's the world we live in. And in fiction, this is always a bit of a this is a bit of a, a, a line because if you're going to write a story in which psychic-y stuff is real, then you have to be able to convince the people that, you know, even the scientists in the end, you have to be able to convince them that the psychic stuff is real. So I appreciated the way that Adam didn't buy it, but at the same time, you know, he's collecting data along the way, and he's got a bit of an open mind about it, but he's requiring a higher level of proof than just, oh yeah, that must be what this is. Um, that, that, and he maintains that throughout, throughout most of the story until it's just overwhelmingly certain something is going on in this town. Is that what you were going for on 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 the science and the the stuff, or or did you have something else you were thinking of when you asked that? Well, question? Uh, well, I yeah, I mean, I guess I, I don't know. I I I sort of liked the the hard sciencey stuff, but on the other hand, some of it was perhaps a bit iffy. Um, but I I appreciate the effort, and I I remember I I see I can't even remember what the story was now, but it was it was some kind of exciting children's thriller book which involved some kind of some kind of super power source thing mm-hmm. and it was it was like this this silver egg and and it got stolen from whatever something the children nicked it but it because of its its uh, properties it would it was sort of s- suspended in in some kind of fluid and so they needed to replace it and in order to do this it's so contrived but i it's the kind of thing i loved they took an egg and they and a candle covered the egg in sooty wax half filled the tank in which the the device had been suspended with um strong brine and then topped it up with water and dropped the egg into it and of course the egg being less dense than the the brine but more dense than the water just hung in the middle and I loved it because I was like, "Oh wow, I've, I'm learning all things about like different densities and uh, reflection of light and all this kind of stuff." And so the 
the bits that involved things like a a set of clocks that are all fed by electronic pulses from the 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 same atomic clock mm-hmm. and and you know the the quickly working out how many extra pulses you would have to feed in to advance it five minutes and so that that stuff i just you know i would have loved it i i i i agree that's probably uh straw i thought it was very interesting when they walk into the house and they go oh look at this digital clock and they're all like oh amazed a digital clock like it's a (laughs) digital clock in 1977 right so i mean some of the go ahead well, I'm just going to say some some of the stuff that um, was maybe a bit less uh, didn't sit quite right was to do with the like magnetism of the stones and all that. Yeah, I didn't think you, you could know, magnetize a stone, and not that and not that level. Sort of horseshoe, dang. Yeah, just hugely powerful. Um, but yeah, I, that that would have been a problem. I mean, his equipment, all sorts of stuff would have been stuck to those stones. Yeah, that that's not. Yeah, that was not good. Yeah, I, you know, and, I think and, that. Go ahead. Well, not just. Uh, I mean, the other the other stuff I, I mentioned is folklore stuff and and the stuff that was more kind of Margaret's department than Adams. That I I I guess I, I don't know anything about it. So I'm quite happy to. You know, if if you say this this was some particular ritual or belief in such and such, then okay, whatever. Yeah, yeah, to kind of just buy off on it. Yeah. Well, I was going to say about the clocks um, was my in 1976-ish, I had a digital clock, I was going to say, and it was <clears throat> very novel, but it was basically rotating wheels that had, you know, flat sides on it, like cogs, so they would turn with oh, a yeah. number facing. And of course, that's driven by the electrical frequency. So that's exactly the kind of thing that, like, and on VCRs of the day, where you would unplug that, and if you took it to the United Kingdom and you put it into an adapter, you could power it, but the clocks would never run at the right speed because they were running at 50 and 60 hertz instead. So you would throw the time off. And when he started that with the oscilloscope, and he's going like, oh, I bet you... I bet you one of the writers traveled to America and his clock was off because of that. And and that stuck with him. And he thought, oh, that's what I do. I can just change the frequency and do that. With either that or, you know, he actually was uh, had some uh, verse in that, in that area. Although I'm not entirely sure you could smell ammonia coming from an uh, atomic clock using ammonia atoms. I didn't. I didn't think that's what they used. Um, I, I, I think, I think, I think my kind of feeling of, about it is that although it might have been somewhat ham-fistedly executed in some cases, the what I guess what they what they lacked for and what they lacked in dexterity, they made up for in commitment. I, I liked the fact that Matthew was. I, I liked the. All of the relationships, I mean, the the father-son relationship, the mother-daughter relationship, and then the relationship between all four of them. But in terms of that father-son relationship, there was something terribly refreshing about the way in which Matthew was, although he wasn't in the same league as the Happy Day 
kids in class. Mm-hmm. He was extremely bright and extremely well, you know, the, that he he and Adam obviously discussed all of these discussed all of these things. So he so he was p- portrayed as being this incredibly scientist scientifically literate kid at least for someone of his age without it being in any way a kind of nerdy thing yeah and he's not a he's like, not an obnoxious know-it-all um it, 10, he, he 10 or 10 or 15 years later if you portrayed a kid like that on tv yeah he might have been an obnoxious know-it-all he you know it would have been the specky kid mm-hmm. the, there would have been some kind of You'd have to hint at the the social ostracism or whatever, and there was none of that. It wasn't he wasn't like a a super confident jock or anything, but he was extremely sociable and he had a had a degree of self confidence and just general comfort in you know both but both a, a confidence in his knowledge and the relationship he had with his dad, but also just the ability to kind of head out on bikes with his new friend and. I, mm-hmm. I, I thought it. I just thought it was done very, very well. It, it feels so. I didn't look up the actor, but if this was made in about '76, then that kid is about my age. So I'd have been ten to twelve. Yeah, he, he in that yes, range. He was, about, he was about. He was about seventeen when it was made. So. Oh, he's much older than he's playing. I think. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, then he's older than me. But you, you know, look, looking back at about 1976, um, I can say that, that that had a very authentic feel. I mean, you you would go into a new town, or like in my case, we'd be camping a lot. And we'd in the summers we'd travel around the United States, and you know we'd move from campground to campground. And you'd you'd hit a campground, and if there was another kid in the campground, the two of you would just hey. And you'd yes, get on your bikes yes. and you'd start going. I mean, that was just absolutely. completely and absolutely authentically what it was like in that age. So that there was nothing. Oh, new kid in town. I'm going to go over and look at him. You know, hey, you know, I'm, it, it, it felt very real. And, and, it, and also, as you say, he's not portrayed as a nerd, but he is portrayed as the acorn that doesn't fall far from the tree. Yes. Right. And, and that's but, but, but generally not in real too. Way. No. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not like it's not like he's been hot housed. It's not like dad is super protective or anything. It's it's a very kind of the you know the the, the there's a, there's a there's a mutual respect between them, but also they just they let each other get on with their own lives. Mm-hmm. And the dad doesn't dismiss his kid when he no which, has some... which is which is interesting because as you say the whole the whole point about. Adam Brake is that he is supposed to be the sciencey one, and yet when he witnesses Matt, you know, having these these psychic visions, he he doesn't he doesn't disregard what although he doesn't try to know what's the explanation, he doesn't disregard what Matt's experiencing. Right, all of that very very good. I, I mean, I just um, this is of course um, Gareth Thomas playing Adam Brake, who uh, obviously is very soon to go off into the Federation and Blake Seven. Um, As he says in the interviews, I went on to do a show called Blake Seven. You may have heard of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, You know, I watched the interviews years ago when I got the, 
when I got the uh, discs, and I didn't have a chance to review them before this, uh, before we did the podcast this time. But I remember they sat down and and, and he talked about it. Um, but I don't remember all of the. So, but I thought he was very good in it. Um, he's yes. got an unusual. He has an unusual delivery. He has it in Blake Seven, and and he has it here. And I I don't even know how to describe it, but it's just kind of the way he he lines. But it 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 comes off. It works. It works fine, even though it it echoes Blake to me because of that, because of the uniqueness of him. I don't I don't get I, this well, as being the same character at all. You know, I'm not. This is not I, Roger Moore who's always playing the same character from one show to the next, even if they've got a different name. This you know this is <laughs> this is a different guy. It's just very interesting that he has some of that same diction and and delivery that Blake does in it. But I mean, uh, I. It's, I probably mentioned on the podcast that I'm not a huge fan of Gareth Thomas as Blake mm-hmm. and part of that is see, I, I think to do with his performance which whether intentional or not conveys a kind of I don't really know what the hell I'm doing here and I'd rather be someone out somewhere else <laughs> I think I think there's a there's a I think there are days like that yeah yeah, but the, but but there's a there's a there's a naturalist it, it's it's a naturalistic style that comes from being actually quite low key in the performance. And I mean, obviously, this is a this is a different show, a different director, who incidentally I was interested to discover was editor on both Brighton Rock, which is one of my favourite films, and The Avengers. Um, now you're talking about proper he, Avengers, not proper. Not yes, the, the 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 Avengers. You know. Uh, Mrs. Peel and all that, and you but, don't mean um, Uma Thurman. You mean Diana Rick? No, 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 no. Yeah. I don't mean Uma Thurman. Um, and I don't know. Which, I don't know. Which, I don't know which series he was editor on, actually. But uh, he, yeah. So he may have got a, a different performance out of Gareth Thomas. But I also think there is just a sense in which the style of style of performance that he gives might have might be better suited to a show that he, you know. Blake Seven is very kind of high concept, and everyone around him is just being enormously camp. <laughs> Whereas this, yeah. this is playing off the fact that weird things are happening to what is supposed to be a normal village, and so it is very much the, the kind of contrast of these spooky events with these very kind of um, normal normal people who are doing normal things going to sort of normal dinner parties and wearing normal tweed jackets although in the interviews gareth thomas says that you know one one thing that's changed between then and now is like, no way i would wear that stuff um, or get away with wearing that stuff so <laughs> well i you know I, I i really haven't got any much of anything but praise for the show there's just a couple of points along the way that like I said, there's a point, there's at least two points along the way where I think if I were a Gareth Thomas character, I would go, I'm going to see if I can drive out of town. That just it just feels like what any sane person would do to make sure there isn't something bizarro going on there. And I agree. And, 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 the, and I also think we need to know that from a storytelling point of view, because I, where I made a note of that was in episode four, where you wonder, Do, Dr. Lyle has tried and failed to leave the village Mm -hmm. and so as a viewer you wonder 
well, is it possible to leave the village? And if you're thinking that, why are Adam and Matthew not thinking that? And if they're thinking that, why aren't they trying it? Yeah, yeah. So that that's one. And the other one that that made me scream at the, there are two places that made me scream at the TV. One was, well, I guess we'll find out tonight. Sandra and I have been invited for dinner. Don't go. <laughs> Oh, but I want to see that well, house so that. much. <laughs> I know he does, but she's like, but I've always wanted to see inside the house. I mean, it's surely it's just a coincidence that everything we've been talking about and fearing about and, and, and agonizing about always culminates with the people going to dinner at the house. But I'll be OK. <laughs> it's like, and I would be all right with that. I wouldn't be all right with that if they had acknowledged the fact that. We'll be on our guard. We'll be looking out. We'll, you know, we'll be really careful. But you don't get that. They just get like, I'm going to go, you know, hey, we're going to have dinner and uh, see what happens. And then when they're sitting at the table and he uses the phrase, it is time. I would be out of that chair so fast. It's not even funny. I mean, surely they have to realize that this, this, I mean, you taking the big freaking dritic stone and the chairs and and the <laughs> top of the roof and the people all chanting and the and doing all his incantation stuff you get out of that chair i understand once the light hit them they couldn't get out of the chair but at that point you stand up and you walk to the other side of the room and see what happens you go you know I just can't. I, I, i'll agree in part i mean I, I i i did get the sense that they were on their guard but they they obviously weren't sufficiently on their guard and <laughs> I I guess I had a bit of a problem with the fact that they got happy peopled because I didn't want them to, you know. I mm-hmm. I, I I wanted I wanted a, an ending in which they survive, and I and no more than that actually. I wanted I wanted them to 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 carry on as protagonists within the story, but of course, in the last couple of episodes, they they can't really right because they've been. They appear, but that's you know the ever decreasing support group, part of the claustrophobia. But also, you know, we know from the picture that only a man and a boy get away. It's it's foretold from the very beginning of the show. Had a different picture. Could have had a different picture. (laughs) You know, down to the number of stones in the town, to everything's pointing to. It's like well, fifty three minus two, two guys running. It's like, I mean, yes, I don't know that you would necessarily put it together but from the audience standpoint you go yeah they're not going to make it um here's my question because you know i think you're also supposed to think that not only should they carry on as protagonists of the story i think you're supposed to think that they should sort of carry on you know like margaret perhaps becoming uh, a love interest for adam you know that they might have had a future together right well yes long term but i mean absolutely yeah he nonetheless they abandon them in the town like yep no bye we're out of here now that they've all been yes. returned to normal. How'd you feel about Which that ending? Mean? Surely it's like, why don't you come with us? <laughs> oh, I can't. I need this job. I, and I, and, I, why, I, and and why? Why? Where was Sandra? Why? Why don't we see her at the end? That is a, a good question. I didn't understand the significance of that. But then, I mean, my mind was fairly reeling at this point. I certainly felt because, like I say, I liked the relationships that were going on there, and the fact that this is a this is a kids show mm-hmm. and that they therefore although they you know they had these kind of relationships very obvious for us watching to see what's going on they never show 
anything very explicit and i you know i appreciate that i think it i think it adds to it so i was certainly disappointed about that aspect of the ending i can see i can see why it happens for the same reasons you've just said about the painting which is once you've established that that, that you know it's just the two of them that escape and the circle is beginning again then they're part of that and so the only ending you can have is that they are the two that got away this time so they have to get away and be two right i i yeah and you i have my if i were adam or matthew for that matter i would have felt the need to ask some questions because obviously everyone's been returned to quote-unquote normal even people they've never met as normal like mrs crabtree and those people know them. Clearly, they've been living there, and they know that they've been living there. What do they think's except been Di. going on? Yeah, except for Di. Well, no, he knew them, yeah. too. He just, he knew them as people who never come to him to get their knives sharpened. Yeah, I for, at first I thought Di didn't know him, but then he said, Don't you know that I know you? You were the, don't come never to come here to get their knives sharpened, or whatever he, he said to him. Well, all, all right, but, but I mean... They obviously had a completely different relationship. Is, yes. is what I'm getting at. and yes. But I, I don't think I agree with you that I would have stayed around to ask questions. I'm not even sure, to be honest, that I would have gone to the museum to see Margaret. I might have just got the hell out of there. I, I think I probably wouldn't have even gone back to get the painting. <laughs> well, quite. You know, when they, were, when they were really genuinely trying to leave the scary version of the town. I, but since they did go back to see Margaret, I don't know. I, I think at least one question or something, and just like, uh, well, what about Mr. Hendricks or anything? Because obviously Hendricks is not there. He's gone because he, yes. he comes in anew. So, you know, who lives in the house? Oh, it's been empty for years. Uh, or I, you know, I don't know. I would, I would just, I would have, I couldn't resist asking at least a question or two just to try to figure out who these people were, how they know me, what did was since there was no mystery going on when Adam was there, maybe he got in two or three full weeks of research that we didn't that's in his paperwork now, and he did, he'll find when he gets back to the university. I, I but I, th- I think the problem is that that if you start asking questions, I mean, I agree with you. the the scene The scene lacks a sense of urgency of trying to get away, and therefore that's why there are no questions being asked. So you do wonder why there are no questions being asked. But the reason you can't have questions being asked is because... They couldn't answer them. The, well, the, what, what, what actually was, you know, the, the explanation that we've got is that the, 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 the circle, the dish or whatever it is, has been transmitting evil to a supernova extracted from the people. In, and, it's, and it's like, what... I, how yes. Does that, how does that even all fit together? I mean, this comes back to the the question about the folklore stuff and the the science stuff. I mean, it's all, it's all a bit. At, at some point in episode six, Adam starts coming up with this stuff about a a time shift, and you think, well, well where on earth is he getting this from? I mean, obviously, it's it it goes on to feed the stuff about the circular circular nature of it in the ending and it sort of ties up some of the things that you get earlier on about previous cycles but where is that how is adam reaching this extremely implausible explanation for what's going on how how has he leapt to that and i i mean i think that that's why you can't have the question because if you start asking questions isn't all of this just going to fall apart 
Well, that's entirely true of every timey-wimey story Stephen Moffat ever wrote. Uh, <laughs> if you start asking questions, they fall apart. Um, same problem. I mean, time loops are hard to, to do. Yeah. yeah, and the whole notion of a parallel universe, and yeah, it, it's a rough one. One thing I do think is in, but I, I like, I like, go ahead. I like the, I like the stuff about, about recurrence. I like the way in which the, the same pattern is being played out again and again. I didn't quite understand why that actually had to involve other, other than the barrier, why that had to involve the whole village being in a separate time, time bubble, psychic bubble yeah. thing. But there you go. Yeah. That, that, that a little problematic. Um, one of the things I do like is, first off, Ian Cuthbertson, who I guess is, I've seen him in a bunch of other stuff, but not, hmm. you know, not nothing really like a major role. This is probably the biggest role I've ever seen him in, um, is suitably weird uh, in this part. But what I, I do like about it is, and, and I know this is a bit of a cliche to say, but I think it really comes across very well in this episode that villains don't see themselves as villains and he is trying to do good to the village he is trying to remove evil from them he, he he's he's trying to make them better and it's just it's adam's comment about you know well it's it's his version it's his version of evil that he's removing from these people and hmm. and also he's lying about you know there can be no there can be no happiness without free will um but you know clearly those two don't agree on that that point of view and i i do actually think it's about it's a benevolence not entirely a little bit but not entirely a power trip uh on his part i think he thinks he's doing he's doing good yeah um whereas you know you can have a show where the villain is absolutely over the top horrifically bad and then I mean, the comic book cartoon bad. And then, you know, later on, the actor will be giving an interview and they go, well, you know, I like to think of, my, you know, my character is, you know, the baddies don't think they're baddies. They uh, they think they're doing the right thing. And, and, you know, you can look at some of these and go, there's no way that that guy ever thought he was doing anything other than just working for his own benefit, that, that he was not doing good in the world. But in this case, I think I think it shows. In the end, it doesn't show throughout the course. Throughout the course of the thing, he's creepy. He's clearly up to something sinister. And it really is just towards the end where you finally get a, a framing of what it is he actually thinks he's doing. And and suddenly he just, I wouldn't say becomes sympathetic, but just a little bit more sympathetic than he was. It's like he's, he's not doing this out of malice. He's doing this out of misplaced sense of goodness. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a terrific performance because I mean apart apart from the fact that there's a massive spoiler in the credits where it says was this starring Ian Cuthbertson and so you know he's you know he's going to play some slightly more major role than just sort of the landlord but when but when he first appears he like yeah he's creepy that's a good word but as in just as in a bit of a you know a slightly creepy guy mm-hmm. slightly too fond of himself mm. you know. But it, but you kind of think, well, they're strangers in this village, and and uh, you you know 
he's he's come along to be friendly and welcome them and you make allowances and and all the rest of it so and it doesn't feel necessarily out of the ordinary and what's nice about his performance is that it then it it does grow to the point where by episode five there's no kind of pretense you see all the all the scheming going on and and you know we get the double act with link and all the rest of it yeah but it's it still feels part of the same the the same kind of progression through um it, it it's not a different character it's not like suddenly the mask falls and is right. now i can show you my evil plans he's still the same guy and it's still this it's still the same slightly creepy vibe it's just now toward a slightly different end and yet in the end as you say you can still see beneath all that what it is that he thinks he's doing and why he's doing it and why he thinks that it is in everyone's interests even though it's not yeah mentioning the credits it is weird there are four people listed in the credits including gareth thomas in at the front so gareth thomas is listed front with gareth thomas freddie jones which is die and then they list two other people who i can't remember the names off the top of my head i'm guessing it's matthew and margaret i'm not 100 percent sure there it's uh, Margaret and Mrs. Crabtree. Oh, it's Margaret and Mrs. Crabtree. So the kids don't even get credit in the opening. Or at the... No, because they're kids. Because they're kids. Okay, well, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a major part. Matthew well, is... Because they because they don't have this... this. I guess they don't have the same kind of track record. Okay. That, but it's weird that it's with Gareth Thomas, Freddie Jones, da-da-da, and then starring Ian Cuthbertson. He comes after them with starring, which... You know, to our yeah, which is not unusual, but maybe it's to balance the fact that the the others are top of the bill. I I don't know. I mean, Gareth Thomas is in you know forty five to seventy five percent of all the scenes in the in the story, and you would obviously now. I mean, he's clearly the star of the show along with the boy, but to not. Um, I don't know that I have anything else. Um. With regards to it, I thought, like I said, they had the very effective, uh, the, the create a very effective claustrophobia in the town. Uh, the stones are they're just cool. <laughs> the, the, the stones are just cool, right? I mean, it's it just it, it, even as a, just a prop when they're walking along and they're in the background. It's just it's like that is just that is really and the fact that most of the stones, not all of them, but most of those stones are real, so they don't look like paper mache uh except when it's a person okay, turning well, into one those look like paper mache but uh there 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 is there's there's an anecdote from the gareth thomas interview that i probably do need to relate because it's just so good he said i mean like you say most of the stones are real but not all of them are some of them are polystyrene yeah and because they were filming in avebury they had they had tourists around and so and so one woman was coming you know they they were they were on their lunch break and just sitting around back to one of the real stones leaning up against it and these and these tourists came along and and one woman was just admiring the stones and she just put her hand out to touch it and it was one of the because they look so good it was one of the polystyrene stones and she knocked it over and she was apparently just completely distraught she was thinking you know this stone has stood here for thousands and thousands of years and then she's come along and knocked it over and apparently it took them ages to convince her that that wasn't the case they were in fits of laughter (laughs) 
That's uh, that's very mean of them. Uh, <laughs> like, no, no, it's fake. Here, try this one. It's real. I thought it was great. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I was going somewhere, but but that story was probably better anyway. But it was uh, sorry. No, 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 it's all right. It, it, it was all right. It's just um, commenting on the feel and the action and the and the 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 setting. I think anyway. I, I think a couple of things on 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 uh, feel, which are period. Okay. Things. I mean, one th- one thing is about the some of the female characters in this. Um, okay, like Mrs. Crabtree, for example. Well, I never. Yes. <laughs> tea, tea, tea for three, Mrs. Crabtree. And I'd rather think you could do with a cup yourself after she's just collapsed on the floor for no apparent reason. <laughs> and it's like, surely, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say, uh, you know? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'll get the tea for, yeah. for a start. <laughs> I'll, yes, I'll get the tea, and I'll make you a, a, a cup of tea. So, you know, yeah, there are certain there are certain kind of seventies attitudes going on there, and and I've got, because there are various things that that, that this had a, you know kind of reminded me of, and I don't know whether I mean it's probably as much influencing other things, um, but just just the way in which people were turned into I mean it's not a terribly obvious parallel, but the happy day people. Reminded me a bit of the Stepford Wives because it's got that kind of small, small community thing, mm-hmm. and this, and the, and the kind of this, the dehumanising effect of taking away what are considered to be undesirable thoughts or whatever, you know, right? Um, not, not perhaps in that case done in in quite uh, as even as a misguided act of altruism, not 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 quite the same, but. Um, there's a there's a there's a line in case you weren't sure that Hendrik is the villain. Women, punctuality is not among their virtues. And uh, and Link says, "Yes, sir. There is there is much to be said for the celibate life." Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that line. I... <laughs> that was um... yeah, yeah. I'm not entirely sure what that. You know, if if they said it now, I would assume that they were making a statement. No, if they said it now, I'm not. If they said that in the 90s, I would be sure that they were making a statement that Hendrix was a homosexual, because that would be the, the progression. You, as in celibate life is euphemistically used. Euphemistically used to mean, yeah. I mean, women are... Well, it could, it could well be. I mean, that could well be the intention. I mean, the, the, the other thing that, and I guess I say this... Well, no, there's two, there's two things, actually. One, one, it reminds me of, of kind of this goes back to why I think I would have really liked it because there were certain kind of fantasy books of this ilk by authors like Alan Garner who managed to make um, very to create these kind of very sinister extensions of reality, I guess. Um, but the other th- the other thing this made me think of nothing to do with an association from the time or anything, but just everything, I guess, makes me think of, or many of the things we've discussed recently make me think of the X-Files, partly, I guess, because the X-Files draws so widely um, for its inspirations. But nevertheless, this this idea you have here of, a, of there being a kind of a, a whole mythology to do with uh, something essentially supernatural going on, and... Adam Brake coming in as a scientist and observing it through a very sort of scientific point of view. And I have no idea whether it made a big enough 
splash across the pond for someone like Chris Carter to ever have seen it. But it still seemed to me notable that it it was it, it's of that if you like tradition now of the supernatural show with a, a, a scientific a, a sort of scientific approach. Well, stone tape. Yes, absolutely, and and Quatermass two as we have also discussed, assuming we've discussed this. Quatermass three. After that. Quatermass in the pit, right? Indeed. Pit. Yeah. In, in, indeed. Yes. So yes. So I guess I guess maybe maybe the correct and and if one were viewing it in 1977, this would be what you would think um, would be the Neil influence rather than the influence on what was yet to come unless you happened to be so incredibly psychic you were able to tell what would be on TV 15 years <laughs> in the future. Well, maybe if you had the socks or something of somebody who was going to be a future TV producer, you, you might be able to use psychometry on that. <laughs> but, uh, Absolutely, yes. I don't think I have anything else. Me neither. Uh, but I do suggest that if you get a chance to get hold of this, this is uh, worth... Which isn't easy. No. Worth taking a look. If you can, if you can find it. Anyway, Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure as always. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at Patreon.com/FusionPatrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at FusionPatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.